Do you remember how the letter of James began? He began with a call to count it pure joy whenever we meet trials of various kinds. Well, that's a pretty shocking statement, don't you think? Rejoice when your car breaks down on your way to church. Rejoice when you lose your job next week. Rejoice when that person you love treats you wrongly. Rejoice when your loved one dies. What do you mean, James? What James wants us to see is that the trials of life are our gymnasium, where our faith is being tested. And through perseverance, we are made perfect and complete. We are made more and more like the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for the Christian, difficulties have purpose and meaning. Sure, we can't see what they're doing right now. But because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we know they're always producing something good. I invite you to think about a recent tragedy. Remember a time in your life of great trouble where your feelings were sorrow, anxiety, fear, depression, and where your thoughts were, why me? How long? Or how could this happen? You got something in mind? So let me ask, when you were in the worst part of that trial, at the absolute lowest, what was it you felt like you were lacking? What was the thing you wanted God to provide you at that moment, in your most miserable moment? Relief? Peace? Comfort? Help? Did any of you first think, wisdom? I lack wisdom right now. Well, that's what James says we should pray for first. The first thing he tells us to pray for when trials come. Wisdom is James' number one prayer request. And in chapter one, the wisdom lacking at the time was what we will call reflective wisdom. Reflective wisdom. Basically, wisdom that sees into God's hidden larger purposes in the momentary trial. James 1 was about asking God, gracious God, for wisdom goggles by which to view the trials of life. Now we come to chapter 3 and James is going to return to wisdom, but here I want us to see what we should call as practical wisdom, which means identifying what it is, what that wisdom will be, and then secondly putting it into practice by godly action, right attitudes. James, throughout this letter, wants us to see our need for wisdom, wisdom that guides us, wisdom that builds our faith, and here results in doing God's will. Friends, I believe that this section is the very heartbeat of James' letter, and it actually has been a catalyst for my own Christian growth and godliness. So how about we pray right now that God will continue that work? Let's pray. Father of glory, we bring a prayer to you as your word is now open before us. We ask that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, so that we may know what is the hope of our calling in Christ, who is the wisdom from above. We pray this in his name. Amen. So our text is James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18.
Now hear the word of our God. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there it will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So many scholars believe that James was the very first book of the New Testament to be written. It's clearly very early, among the earliest. Now, none of us can really know, but if it is the first, that would mean that God's very first inspired word to the New Testament church was a wisdom word. A wisdom word. James is the New Testament wisdom letter. And we've come to what I argue to be the very heart of James' wisdom letter. And wisdom is very important. James is trying to say it makes all the difference in the world whether you are a wise person or not. That's why James opens by asking us this question. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? I'm asking you. Who is wise and understanding among you? I don't see any of us raising our hands. I don't see any of us moving towards the front, stepping up here. So why aren't you saying, hey, I'm the really wise guy here. I'm full of understanding, Joel. Because if anybody does raise their hand as a wise guy, <laughs> the rest of us are probably running fast the other way in our search for wisdom, right? Why would we instinctively run away from someone who is quick to say, listen to me, I'm the wise guy here. Why? Well, I'd say at least one reason is because James has been warning us about a quick tongue, right? Someone who is wise is not boastful or quick to say, I have understanding. James says not many of us should teach because we all stumble in many ways. It's easy to stumble and end up speaking the wrong wisdom. By the way, did you notice that? James doesn't contrast wisdom and foolishness here. James contrasts the wisdom from above with the wisdom from below, from this earth. So why does James still call this wisdom? Because it actually seems wise when viewed with earthly eyes. It appears wise when viewed with earthly eyes. Many of you uh, may recall the character Worldly Wise Man from Pilgrim's Progress. You know where he comes from? The town of carnal policy, which means the way the world thinks. And the way he thinks makes a lot of sense down here. Worldly Wise Man, he sees Christian on his journey and he's weighed down by his burden. So Worldly Wise Man asks Christian, where are you going? And Christian says, well, evangelist told me to take this burden to the wicket gate. And worldly wise man says, hey, I'm much older than you. 
I have understanding. <laughs> He's real quick to say that. He says, evangelist, he takes his Bible too literally, and he is ignorant of modern thinking. If you listen to evangelist, you will meet many unpleasant things. You will encounter pain, peril, weariness, and even death. A worldly wise man tells him to go to the village morality, to meet with gentleman legality. And he can have the same salvation, but it will be far less costly. Doesn't that sound wise? Forgiveness, eternal life with less cost? The point that John Bunyan is making is that earthly wisdom is a path that will take you to hell. We need to see that this word is what we need to show us our sin, awful as it is, so that we will see our need for Jesus and will follow him, take up our cross. Sadly, there is a wisdom that is masquerading as the best way to live in God's world. Wonderfully, James does not want us to be deceived, so he holds them both up together, and we'll see that there's only one way of wisdom and how we can avoid the other. I name this sermon A Tale of Two Wisdoms because there is truly only one wisdom that comes from above. It is a good and perfect gift, which comes from the Father of Lights, if you remember from James chapter 1, verse 17. So anybody out there who's quick to say, hey, I'm a wise guy, I have understanding, anyone who tries to convince you there's an alternative wisdom, they're telling you a tall tale, a tall tale. Now, James has been contrasting good and bad wisdom, I would actually argue, since he talked about true religion back in chapter, end of chapter one. Remember at the end of chapter one, he talked about the three tests of true religion. It watches its words, bridles the tongue. It cares for the needy and it chooses holy living, being unstained from this world. And then James basically gives us test case after that to show what this looks like. He first gave us a church scene where a rich man and a poor man come in to visit church. The unwise way was to show partiality to the rich and to neglect the poor person. Next, we saw the difference between one who possessed faith and one who professed faith. The unwise way was to say you were a Christian and not do good works. And finally, we saw the perfect life came with a bridal tongue. And the unwise way was to bless God and curse neighbor with that same tongue. Do you see how these will reveal what sort of wisdom is operational in a person's life? And that is why James answers the question that the wise life, the answer to this question is, verse 13b, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James says, let him show. And that might trigger, you know, that our, our minds, that challenge he gave back in chapter 2. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The wise person is not someone who is a tremendous talker, but a diligent doer. A diligent doer. Wisdom is seen in godly action, a good life. And the Greek word here for good, there's only two words in the Greek for good, is kalos, a word that means beautiful. Now look at Brother Mark right now. He does beautiful handwriting, calligraphy. If you ever receive a card from Mark, beautiful handwriting with his pen. James is saying that the wise person has an attractive life, a beautiful life, because it's actually a life that has placed itself in the hand of Jesus. And he is the one making beautiful work. 
Our master calligrapher is moving the wise one about in a way that is stunning before the world. It's a beauty that shows forth the goodness of our God. Now realize, the world out there may not actually see your life, if it's a wise life, as stunning or attractive. So why is that? Well, people who have never met our God do not have eyes for wisdom, seen in true goodness. Someone who has only seen a light bulb does not understand the sun. Someone who has never heard thunder will be really thrilled by a child's cap gun. We need to be ready when the world isn't impressed by our wisdom, which is why James adds the right attitude comes along with it, the meekness of wisdom. So here's our question. Are we expecting to be praised or noticed for our good life? This is actually an indication that we're still under the influence of another wisdom. Can you do a good deed and it not bother you at all if nobody notices it? Put another way, when's the last time you did something where the only one who would really appreciate it was God? Have you done something in the last 24 hours simply because you love Jesus and want him to be glorified? And that's the only reason. This, my friend, is a characteristic of the wisdom that comes down from above. It lives out of fear of the Lord. We hear that over and over. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Because it's always seeking at its end the glorification of God. And James goes on now to warn us, verses 14 to 16, but if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is unearthly, sp earthly, spirit, unspiritual, demonic. For the, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Start with bitter jealousy. This is so common in our culture. Now, we don't hear it promoted that way, even though it's promoted all the time. Think about, though, how they sell products. I've seen this just recently. They show you a, a car or actually a new iPhone on a commercial, right? And someone who has this new iPhone, they're just smiling, living the best life and everything else, while the other person who has an old phone like mine, they're miserable, right? They're miserable. Let me ask you, are we being taught to be happy for the person who has something good that we don't? Just celebrating, I'm so glad he's got the greatest phone ever. Are we being taught that? No way. <laughs> no, we're to let bitter jealousy fester so that we buy the product. We're ever taught to be discontent in this society. That's the whole way our system functions, right? And selfish ambition, how about that one? That means in the Greek, putting yourself forward. It's the opposite, actually, of what Paul tells us in Philippians 2, when we're to count others as more significant than ourselves. We're today told to look out for number one. And sometimes we even brag about it, don't we? I was seeing it and hearing all last week. I was actually trying to note when people were putting themselves forward. I was just like, man, we do this a lot. James says, no, don't. Don't boast and be false to the truth. That's a false wisdom. Yes, it actually has a logic to it in this age. It makes sense. And it seems to work. But it's not wisdom. Because earthly wisdom is unspiritual. And the Greek here actually doesn't mean unspiritual. It means soulish. Soulish. That means it's not characterized by the spirit. It's characterized by the self. Dan McCartney says a better translation would be 
self-ish. Self-ish. Because the wisdom is all about advancing one's own personal well-being. And it makes sense, actually, because we're hardwired like this from our birth, right? We're born into sin, and we just love to hear it. Tell me it again, Oprah. Put yourself first. Follow your heart. Just be you. But friends, James actually says this wisdom is of the devil. He calls it demonic. What do you mean, James? Actually, James could tell you the true story of a man named Simon. And Simon heard that his friend, the kindest man he ever known, had been falsely accused, would be arrested, and was about to be taken to a kangaroo court, a court that would sentence him to die. So Simon stood up and said to his friend, Don't worry, we won't allow it. We're willing to fight for you even if we die. Wouldn't you think that Simon is being noble and right here? That to fight and die for his friend is a beautiful gesture, don't you think? But James discovered firsthand that this was from the devil. If Simon had succeeded, it would have destroyed God's wise plan of our salvation. This was actually the sermon I preached last week, right? When Simon Peter chopped off a man's ear, he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. In fact, the first time he argued with Jesus about this, Jesus called Simon Peter what? Satan, get behind me. Because you're not thinking the things of God. Simon Peter was operating with the wisdom of the demonic. The Christian is called to a wisdom that teaches us to do something really strange in this world. To suffer for the sake of the gospel. To take up our cross in this world and to follow Jesus and then we receive glory at the end. Or as Jim Elliot said, who knew about suffering because he died for the faith, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So if you are born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus, we will ask God and live according to the wisdom from above. Or we will find ourselves, what? Involved in disorder and every vile practice. Like what we see in our culture today. I was watching our commercials this week, more than I probably should have. Hearing about all the advances that we have, the education we have. We make a big deal about education, right, in our society? About all our scientific advances. And I definitely appreciate both. But they always fall short of making us happy and whole. As all our earthly wisdom built up over the last how many centuries, has all our wisdom provided the solution so a man and a woman can live in a committed relationship where they're able to each make each other their best selves? Have we been able to solve that at the most basic level? I grew up in the divorce culture. And now many don't even bother in our day because they see marriage as a joke. Earthly wisdom has not reduced one with the immoral behavior, destruction, drug use, violence that plague our society and our families today. Disorder and evil practices are rampant. Why? Because we lack wisdom from above. Wonderfully. The good news is God sent his son Jesus to earth to become for us wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And once you turn from this world's wisdom to Jesus and receive him, 
you are born from above. John 3, 7 says, and as a born again child of God, guess what? The good news is the father just loves to give you wisdom. He loves to give you wisdom. He never holds back on it. That's what James told us in chapter one. So now the question is, what does this wisdom look like? So we can identify it. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And let's look at all these in turn. Did you notice the first quality James lists regarding observable wisdom? It's first of all, pure, pure. Actually made me think about our water purifier at home. We have to change our filter regularly. Why? There's a whole lot of junk in our water. You taste it actually when the filter is starting to get all full of the crud. It's like, oh, we got to change that out. My wife's kind of going like, yeah, she knows what it tastes like when it gets bad. Every day in this world, we have to realize, as long as we're living in this world, we're drinking in from a glass that has scum in it, sediment, things floating around in it, right? And some of us are taking in more than we should because watch a lot of social media or listen to secular songs, too much of the news, hang around with the wrong people. Problem is we get used to it, don't we? And if that's all you ever drink, it shouldn't surprise you when you see the results, the crud coming up in your own life. It's actually why I read Psalm 1 to start. It's a wisdom psalm. Where's the purest purity you can find? Well, of course, it's in God himself, but it's also in his word. God's word is the purity he provides us so that we can live wisely, to live pure lives. And we need to be taking in God's word every single day. Psalm 30 50. God's pure word. We need the pure word to help us live pure lives. Think about it this way. Reading a chapter of the Bible is like taking in a glass of clean water to flush out the world's scum. To make yourself more and more pure. Next, it's peaceable or peace-loving. Oh, I think a lot of folks would endorse this, right? We see it on bumper stickers, peace-loving. <laughs> But being a lover of peace, like a hippie, is not what James is getting at here. Remember what James' brother taught? Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace lovers. <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are the peace makers. Those who promote peace, as I'll talk about here at the end. We are to seek peace and pursue it. Next, wisdom is seen in being gentle. It could be translated considerate. That means a willingness to yield to others, and listen, yielding even when wronged, because it first gives the benefit of the doubt to the other. It is, as one commentator puts it, I like this, to be utterly mastered by merciful purposes. To be utterly mastered by merciful purposes. And wisdom is next evident when one is open to reason or compliant. Now, James is not saying, be a doormat. No. Rather, when you start a conversation with someone, you don't already have your mind made up. That's what it means. You are willing to be persuaded by others to do what is good and what is best. And then it's full of mercy and good fruits. Think of a judge. 
parting on a man who goes, deserves to go to jail. The wisdom from above is loaded with mercy and it's seen in kindness to others despite whether they deserve it or not. And wisdom is lastly impartial and sincere. And to be impartial means more than just to be unwavering, not tossed to or fro by folks' opinions. <clears throat> it's, it's to be actually solid in what you hold to. And then the Greek word for sincere, listen to this, anapokritos. Anapokritos. Does it sound like unhypocritical? Unhypocritical. And the word sincere comes from two Latin words meaning without wax. Without wax, what do you mean, Joel? It was actually a word picture used to describe a stone sculpture. They did that a lot back then, but when chipped or broken, someone would use a little bit of wax to put it back together. And a little paint over the top, right? Nobody knows the difference. So to be without wax means, oh, no, you're the real deal. No chips. Those, friends, are our wisdom characteristics that God gladly gives when we simply ask for it, when we simply ask for it. And for a fun study, so I like giving homework assignments during sermons, I would encourage you guys to take this list from verse 17 and compare it to the fruits of the Spirit that you find in Galatians 5. Because I want these to be more evident in my life and I want them to be more evident in your life, don't you? And then James ends with giving us this wonderful promise. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What I really love about this is how James starts with the harvest before he notes the sowing of peace. James holds forth the promise of a harvest of righteousness that we will see when we, in wisdom, sow and make peace. The harvest is first held forth. So as I close here, let me tell you where you can expect to see that harvest and in the order that I think we ought to sow these seeds, these peace seeds. First, you'll see a harvest of righteousness in your own life as you ask for wisdom and then live it out. You'll first see the harvest in your own life as you ask God for it and then live it out. Next, you can expect to see a harvest in the lives of your family members those closest to you as you sow and seek to make peace there by living that out from yourself. You'll see growing righteousness in your family as you live out the wisdom from above. Third, you expect to see a righteous harvest here in our church family. And I'm already seeing it. I'm excited. As you sow and make peace here, it will have effect on our church community. And that's a promise from God. And lastly, we can expect to see a righteous harvest in our community. Friends, we live in a dying, lost world, living with a wisdom that cannot save it. And they know it. They really do know it, even though they don't want to say it. Socrates was one of the brightest minds to ever live. Everyone would agree with that. You know what he said about this world's wisdom? Listen. Socrates said, all the wisdom of this world is but a tiny raft upon which we must set sail when we leave this earth. 
If only there was a firmer foundation upon which to sail. Perhaps some divine word. He said that right before he died. Friends, give thanks to God that you have been given that divine word. So let's live out that beautiful wisdom from above before a watching world and we're promised a harvest. We will get a hearing from lost souls. God is calling to himself from out of this world. And I think that's an exciting thing to think about when we see all the bad around us right now. But this is how the gospel works. As James says, it brings peace to men on earth. In the same way the Father sent his Son to bring peace between men and God, we can do the same as we live wisely, sowing peace. And we will see a harvest of righteousness. That's a promise from God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from James. It's a timely word. And we ask and pray for each and every one of us here that you will give us that wisdom from above that is first pure, then peaceable, that's gentle, that's open to reason, that is full of mercy and good fruits, that is impartial and sincere, that we might sow a harvest of righteousness in peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.